Good morning. We are so happy you're here with us today. You're listening to the VBAC Link podcast. And today we have Molly with us. And, you know, we have 141 episodes now. And we have never talked about fourth degree tears. I don't think we ever have. I don't think we have. We've, we've talked about tearing I mean, a little bit, but not yeah. like, like a fourth degree, like a really severe tear. Yeah, and we haven't really ever provided resources for people who have severe tears. No. But guess what? Today, we have them for you. <laughs> we have a story, and we are going to talk about it, and you are going to get resources to go to for support if you have suffered from a fourth-degree tear or if you end up having one during your vaginal birth. But before we get into Molly's fabulous story, Megan has a review of the week for us. Yes, I do. And this is from, I can't always botch these names, you guys. It's like Matthias.band and it's on Apple Podcasts. And the topic title is so much love for this podcast. Says It says, I am a mom who has had two VBACs following the cesarean birth of my firstborn. If I could give a gift to the, my post-cesarean while preparing for my VBACs, it would have been this podcast. Aw, that's so sweet. That is sweet. Um, says, I did not discover this podcast until after my last birth, but I have fallen in love with the hosts, the women who come here and share their stories. Listening to Julie and Megan feels so often like sitting down with friends due to their candor and obvious passion that they bring to the, the face of childbirth and early motherhood. I love this community they have created and genuinely understand the emotion impact of birth and many reasons, both physical and psychological, women pursue a VBAC. Oh, wow. I just like love her. Julie and Megan are so knowledgeable, kind-hearted, and obvious hardworking. Keep up the good work. You are making an impact. That really just gave me the chills. Me too. That I like so when sweetest. people use our names in reviews. It makes. I, know. I feel like Olaf right now. Do you know? Like, okay, do you remember in Frozen where give you Olaf like comes and introduces the nose? Like, my name's Olaf. No, it's Anna playing with for pretend with the snowman. She's like, my name's Olaf, and I like warm hugs. Mm-hmm. I feel like that right now. Like that. Like, my name's Julie, and thanks for the warm hug because that's exactly how I feel right now. Like, yeah. we love reviews. I know you've heard it say it before but it really does make the late nights and the long hours and the scheduling and everything that is hard about recording podcasts that much more worth it because we get to meet incredible women from all over the world but we also get to hear how it's helping people like you so if you haven't had a chance yet hop on over to uh, apple podcasts google or facebook and Leave us a review and tell us how you are liking the podcast. You are tuned in to the VBAC Link podcast with Julie Francom and Megan Heaton. VBAC moms, doulas, and educators here to help you get inspired for birth after having a C-section. Together, they have created a robust VBAC preparation course along with this uplifting podcast for women who are preparing for their VBAC. Although these episodes are VBAC specific, they encourage all expectant moms to listen and educate themselves on how to avoid a cesarean from the get-go. The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It is not meant to replace advice from any other qualified medical professional. Here are your hosts, Julie and Megan. Do you want a VBAC but don't know where to start? It's easy to feel like we need to figure it all out on our own. That's what we used to do and it was the loneliest, most ineffective thing we have ever done. 
that's why Megan and I created our signature course, How to VBAC, the ultimate preparation course for parents that you can find at the VBAClink.com. It is the most comprehensive VBAC preparation course in the world, perfectly packaged in an online self-paced video course. Together, Megan and I have helped over 800 parents get the birth that they wanted, and we are ready to help you too. Head on over to the VBAClink.com to find out more and sign up today. That's the VBAClink.com. See you there. Welcome back. We have Molly here with us today. And you know what? I was just reading her little bio and Molly has or does some small hobby farming from home with alpacas, chickens, and quail. And I'm like, alpacas? You have alpacas? I need to hear more about alpacas. <laughs> And quails remind me of like when I was growing up, my uncle had a little like hobby farm, I guess you could call it, little quails. And um, my cousin, his son had some quails, two of them, and they were named, they were named Titsy Ditsy Dots Bots and John. <laughs> it was Titsy Ditsy Dots Titsy Bots and Ditsy John. Bots, bots. Dots Bots. Yeah. The quails names. Isn't that funny? That is like, actually really that cute. From, from, yeah. <laughs> He like wasted all the good name on the one titsy titsy dot spots. And then the, there was John. So, <laughs> Poor John. I know. I think it was so funny and so cute. But okay. So we really want to hear your C-section and VBAC stories. We really, really do. But first, can you tell us about alpacas? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, we have four alpacas. We came across them a couple of years ago when a family was getting out of them for 4-H and we got them. And so we have two males and two females, uh, red and white male and two black females and um they are pretty much just lovely lawn potatoes and grass mowers and then every spring we get to shear them and get bags and bags of fiber that my aunt spins and I make dryer balls out of <laughs> oh my gosh that is so cool do you yeah. sell dryer balls I have not gotten fast enough at making them mm. to sell them, but mm. I could definitely send you guys some. Yeah, I, I like love send me dryer me. balls. Yeah, me too. I have, <laughs> I have dryer balls and I love them. Do you ever like put a little few them. drops of like essential oils on no, the dryer balls and then your no. laundry smells so yummy? So good. Yeah. I never even thought of that. <laughs> do it. It's going to make me want to do laundry. Look at you guys go. Making me <laughs> actually want to do my laundry. <laughs> <laughs> laundry is the worst chore in the world. Ugh. It really it's the is. worst. <laughs> yep. <laughs> All right. Speaking of laundry and alpacas, we have a birth story coming up, Molly. And I'm really excited to talk about it. And I'm excited to talk about something that we haven't really given a, a lot of attention to. So why don't you go ahead and take it away? All right. Well, I guess I'll just start from the beginning. My husband and I, in 2014, we found out we were expecting our first daughter. It was quite a surprise. But, uh, I knew I wanted an out-of-hospital midwife. Um, my mother had given birth to me and my siblings with a midwife. I was from the perspective that labor and birth were natural occurrences, not medical events. Very much had that upbringing. And one of the things that was really, really important to me was I wanted to know my birth team. I'd known so many people who had gone into a hospital and get the on-call rotation and I was really uncomfortable with the thought of somebody being at my birth that I did not know. I guess the other thing was I didn't have the word for it, but I understood the cascade of interventions. And in the same time, I didn't feel safe going into a hospital. And I know more now and I completely understand why women choose 
a hospital birth, even though it was not the right choice for me at that time. But it ended up being the right choice at the end of the story, but <laughs> we'll get to that. So I had a really easy pregnancy, um, exhausted in the first trimester, mild nausea. Near the end of my pregnancy, around week 35, my midwives uh, brought up my 20-week ultrasound and they said, hey, by the way, we looked at your ultrasound and we noticed um, that you have a low-lying placenta. And so we went to, we got an another ultrasound at 35 weeks and it had moved up out of the way. It was not an issue. Our midwife said that uh, for first-time moms, we would really like you to either hire a doula or take a childbirth education class just to kind of get ready, get an idea of everything that's going to happen. And so my That's husband- That's a great recommendation. Yeah, it was a great <laughs> recommendation. And of course, I was young and knew everything. And I'm like, oh, I wouldn't want a stranger at my birth. Why would I hire a doula? Because I was, did not know any better. But my husband and I, we took a childbirth class that was based around the Bradley method. It wasn't strictly, it wasn't like the 12-week Bradley course, but it was, had the Bradley-esque ideas. And so we took that through our birth center and it was great. I read Natural Childbirth the Bradley way. I've did like all the exercises. I was so prepared. I did like the, I was always sitting on floors. I avoided anything squishy. I, so I really felt like I did everything right. But what I did not do was I did not do any study on cesarean because I felt like I'm young, I'm healthy. I've got a midwife. I've done all the practices. I'm not going to be one of the people that end up with a cesarean. And I wish I would have done more studying on cesarean. Oh, so many people do that though. Right? right? Exactly. Like, that's just a so, it's, it's so common because like you just don't think about it. You're like, yeah, I mean, it's there. Yeah. Like, it's a chance. But, like I'm not, I'm not planning on that. Right? Yeah. But like our cesarean rate in the U.S. is like what? 31%? Right. Like, yeah. That's quite large. So yeah. but nobody ever thinks we need to that prepare. it's going to happen to them. Right. right. Exactly. And nobody I was thinking – I I was thinking like, okay, so midwives in the United, like out of hospital midwives have a closer to like seven to 10% cesarean rate. So I'm like, my chances of cesarean are so small and I've done everything right. I don't have to worry about this. And I'm like kicking myself for being so naive. <laughs> like, but um, so like the only, like the only preparing I did for, like the only thing I knew about cesarean is I had watched a TED talk, I think, on delayed cord clamping. And it was talking about how delayed cord clamping was viable even for cesareans. And I'm like, okay, that's cool. Like, I guess that's the only thing I'd really care about if I did have a cesarean was if I could, if my baby could have delayed cord clamping. So everything went fine. Um, at 39 weeks, we had our last appointment and our midwife's like, you guys should go out this weekend and, you know, have a good time because you never know when this baby's going to come. And, um, at, I guess I should mention at our very last childbirth education class. So the, the birth center that we went to was run by three midwives and the head midwife, um, she came into the class with another midwife who we had not met before. And she said, Hey guys, I just want to let you know, I'm going to be taking a break for a little bit. These other two midwives will still be practicing and we're going to bring in this third midwife, Annie, and she's going to fill in for me and just help out to keep everything running. And I talked to them at my next appointment. I said, hey, like, you know, she seems cool and everything, but I want to make sure that I'm going to have somebody who I know at my birth. And they're like, oh, yeah, only if, like, we were really busy or something would you end up having Annie at your birth, and we'd still be right on hand to help out. So I went into labor early on a Saturday morning. My 
40 weeks was on the following Monday and I went into started labor on the Saturday before that. And so I woke up really early, like 2.45 in the morning and I had a contraction and I had a gush of fluid and it was just a tiny gush. Like I'm like, did my water just break? And so I get up and I go to the bathroom and I change my pants. It's enough fluid that I have to change my pants and I'm having really mild contractions and they're not regular. But when my husband wakes up, I say, hey, uh, just let you know this is happening and I think we should call the midwives because I had tested GBS positive. And so we call them and they're like, well, you're not leaking. I wasn't leaking fluid then. So we go over all the questions. They're like, well, come on in. Um, We'll meet you at the birth center. We'll get you checked out. We'll see what's happening. And so I go in and they do a quick, one of the quick um, like little swabs to see if it turns blue. I'm blinking on the name for it now. Like an amnio strip? Yes, amnio strip. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. (laughs) And uh, so it did not turn blue. There was no sign of fluid. They did a cervical exam and I had no dilation. It was like, they were like, ah, it doesn't look like anything's going on. You probably still got a few days like easily before you go into labor. Like there's no signs of labor. But as we were there, I was having these really like contractions, the kind of contractions where you're going, was that really a contraction or not? Just kind of figuring it out. Totally understand that. <laughs> I remember I remember like sitting in my bathroom, like standing at a counter and I'm like, hmm, Okay, maybe that seems crampy. Okay, it's gone. Maybe not. And then, like, you just don't know. You're just figuring it out. Right. Like, I remember I was putting my shoes back on um, at the midwife at the birth center, and I was putting on a shoe, and I just kind of, like, paused. And for a second, I just, like, could not move as I was putting my shoe on. And I'm like, well, that was weird. (laughs) So we went around about our day, and I kept having these contractions, but they were, like, 15 to 20 minutes apart. Like, we went shopping um, that night, uh, the church we were at was having a craft sale and so we went to that and one of our friends Barb she's sitting there and she's telling me all about her births and her she had uh, like a precipitous labor and had her daughter on the floor of her living room and she was telling me about this and I'm sitting there and I'm noticing the contractions are getting closer and closer together and I'm like smiling and listening to the story and being like I just really want to go home right now (laughs) and my husband definitely noticed and he was like okay uh, we need to get home we got stuff to do and kind of rescued me from a very, very long conversation. And we got home and I took a shower and tried to get, and as soon as I laid down, contractions jumped like 10 minutes apart. As soon as I tried to relax, it was like, they just started picking up and it was, it was in my back enough that I could not lay down. I could not stay laying down. And so I got up on a birth ball and I stacked some pillows on the bed. So I was leaning over and I just sat there and watched shows. And my husband comes to bed and I'm like, you know what? I think this is officially labor. Like I think these aren't going away. I took a shower. They're not going away. I'm eating. They're not going away. And I cannot sleep. And so that night, the entire night, every time I would have a contraction, he would have to put counter pressure on my back. And the contractions were coming about every eight to 10 minutes all night. So it was just enough that we could not really get rest, but it was still early and it was exciting and baby was coming. And the next day comes around and it was just a lot more of that and contractions getting a little bit closer together. And we're still coping with them. And so my sister-in-law, who was going to be with us at the birth, she came over and she rubbed my back while my husband rested. And then come evening, there was just like a complete shift where there was this point where I was just like, I no longer want to be around people. So I got up and my husband and I went back to our bedroom and I had this double peaking contraction. And I was just like, I'm done. I don't want to do this anymore. And I just remember just like crying because I felt like I'd been at this 
you know, having not slept the night before, I felt like I'd been at it for so long and did not feel like I was getting anywhere. And so my husband called our midwife and he's like, hey, not sure if you have any pointers, like what should we do now? And our midwife said, you know what? We need to get her some rest. So what I want you to do is I want you to get her a glass of wine, a Benadryl and a hot bath. And so our entire family like went into speed mode where they drew a bath and my sister-in-law went over to her house and got wine and my husband got a Benadryl and I got, did all that and got about two hours of sleep. And then I was woken up and the contractions were back and they were back fast, like every four minutes apart. So we kept doing that. I got back in the bath because it was the only place I could rest. And I was laying in there and I feel our daughter, her name is Riley. I could feel her kind of wiggling and I feel her do a roll. And then as she's doing that, my water breaks. And what I did not realize then was I think when she did that role and my water broke, she moved into a posterior position mm. and everything that kind of set the track for the rest of that story. Um, so after my water broke, we went to the birth center. It was about 3 a.m. and we're driving in and the song Oceans by Hill Songs come on the radio. And that song kind of stuck. It very much became a theme with all of my births. Like that's on my labor playlist for all of my births now. But we got there and I walk in and I'm tired and I'm our happy little midwife, she greets us at the door and I'm like, let's have a baby. And then we get back to the room and Annie, the midwife that we did not know very well is there. And they're like, okay, Annie's going to be with you for your birth. And I really wish at this point I would have spoken up and said, hey, like I was told I would have somebody I knew, but like, she was fine. It was just, she was not somebody I was familiar with. And that put me on edge. But so my sister-in-law came and was with us. My husband was with me. As soon as my water broke, I started vomiting. I found out that is as soon as I hit really active labor, turns out I vomit, which is not so fun. But so we went in there and um, I got in the tub and the tub slowed my labor down to the middle. I was like, okay, let's get you out of the tub. And we figured out that the, my most effective contractions were actually when I would lay down on my side which was terrible. But she's like, you know what? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to put you on one side, five contractions, and then we'll flip you. We'll get you on your hands and knees and flip you over to the other side. And so we were trying to get that. And I guess she had at one point told our family that we'd probably have a baby by brunch. And we were going really well. And we finally, like I hit 10 centimeters and like it was immediately like I felt like I needed to push. And it was really cool because I was like all this time going through transition and laboring on the bed, getting those good contractions. And I felt like, like fighting my, I was fighting my body to try to stay out of its way, to try to stay relaxed, to try to help those contractions. But finally, like when I could start pushing, I was like, all right, I'm actually doing something. I'm being proactive. And that was a wonderful feeling to have. And then we kept pushing and kept pushing and I got in the tub and labor slowed down. So we got me out of the tub and then contractions started spacing out after a while. And so my midwife was having me, having us do nipple stimulation between contractions to try to keep them going, but they're getting further and further apart. And they're like 10 minutes apart. And I'd been pushing for a few hours and the midwife comes over and she's like, you know what? I think we should talk about transferring to a hospital. Like you're getting tired. And I go, you know, can I try for five more contractions? And she goes, okay, let's try for five more contractions. And then she'd come back after five and she goes, I think we need to talk about transferring. And I'd go, let's try for five more. And I kept bargaining for more time thinking like, if I can just get in the right position, if I can, like we were trying squats and on my side and everything, we were trying everything we could and just 
could not get her to rotate or could not get her under my pubic bone with that posterior position she was in. And I didn't know this at the time, but during this, my midwife had pulled my husband aside and he said, she said to him, the baby is not tolerating labor well. Like her heart rate is starting to show she's not tolerating this well and we need to really start talking about transferring. And so after about five hours of pushing, it was around 6.30 or 7, finally said, okay, we can go to the hospital. And my midwife said, do you want to drive or would you like, like us to call an ambulance? And I'm like, we are not calling an ambulance. Like I'm not, I'm not going to take that route. Like I'm, I'm okay. We're going to drive. And so uh, she put a hip lock in our, my hand because I need, it was due for another dose of antibiotics for my GBS. And she hooked that up and she gave the IV back to my sister. My sister held that in the car so that I was getting the IV and while we were in the car. And we drove to the Women and Children's Pavilion that was just down the road. And it was the first time I'd ever been to this place. And we came in in the morning when we got to the birth center, it was dark. And when we left that night to go to the hospital, it was dark. And I remember that. But um, so we get in and I'm wearing like pajama pants and a robe and a bikini swim top. And I walk into this hospital and my midwife is like, do you have a wheelchair for her? And the lady at the counter is like, I don't have a wheelchair, but here's my rolly chair. And she pulls out like her office desk chair from behind the counter. And I'm like, I try to sit in it and I'm like, no, I'm going to, I'll walk. And so I walk into the hospital and we go in the elevator and up to the triage floor. And they got me all hooked up to all the baby monitors really quick. And, but I remember this part being really scary. Cause all of a sudden, like they had my husband over filling out paperwork and my sister-in-law was trying to help get things coordinated. And then, so they got me into triage, got baby's heart on a monitor. And then they brought us back into a labor and delivery room. And our midwife was there and she comes up to me and she says, I know we talked about coming here and getting Pitocin and trying to keep, pick up labor again, but the doctor is going to recommend a cesarean and I think you should take it. And that was mm. really, really yeah. hard, really hard to hear. But, uh, so we were waiting there and the doctor comes in and he does a exam and it was super painful. Like, I don't know if I was just sore from being put from pushing so long or if this big man hands or what, but I remember this really painful exam and um, I was watching the baby monitor. Well, I was watching not the baby monitor, the, the fetal heart monitor. And I remember Riley's heart be, being at 132, the entire contraction. And then the doctor says, you know what? She's not tolerating labor well. I recommend a cesarean. And I'm like, it was at 132. That's fine. Like I'm thinking this doctor lied to me, but I didn't realize he'd probably had a discussion beforehand with my midwife. Um, and she had told him that her heart tones previously at the birth center were not super reassuring. And so I consented to the cesarean and they brought in like the paperwork and stuff. And he's like, just like, you know, you got to sign this. Here's, it's just like, you know, it's a surgery. So it tells you like all the risk stuff. And he was saying, and I know he probably said this to try to be funny and lighten the mood, but at the time I was really frustrated. He goes, so, so here's all the stuff you have to sign about your cesarean and stuff. I'm really good at this. You'll still be able to wear a bikini. And it oh, made geez. me so angry. Yeah, that's the first thing on your mind right now. <laughs> right. I'm like, I don't care if I can wear a bikini. Like, I'm just trying to wrap my head around how everything is changing, how this was something like half an hour ago, something we were doing, and it was so team-oriented, and now it's something that's happening to me, and it was such a shift. And he told me, like, uh, 
you know, and if you want to have a vaginal birth in the future, I will, I will, I will let you do that, but you will have to have an epidural. And I'm like, okay, let you. Yes. Love that. (laughs) Yeah. But you will have to just like, okay, I don't care right now. Um, And so they took me to the OR and I remember there was this really lovely nurse and her name was Bridget. And she just sat there with me the whole time. She's like, you're doing great. Just hang on. And the anesthesiologist came in and they put in the spinal block. And I remember looking down at my stomach and seeing my stomach contract, but not being able to feel it, which was a really cool thing to be like, oh, that doesn't hurt anymore. But they kept the nurse and the anesthesiologist were really, really nice. But the anesthesiologist, she looked at me for a minute. She goes, is your face normally this puffy? <laughs> and I'm like, no, not normally. I've just been pushing for the last five hours. So yeah, people are really complimenting you the whole time. Really nice nurse. And she was super sweet. And then the anesthesiologist is like, is your face normally this puffy? <laughs> um, but uh so my, my husband comes in and he sits up at my left shoulder and they strap my arms down. And the one thing that I asked before we went into the OR was, can I have delayed cord clamping for my baby? And the doctor said, no, the risk of hemorrhage for you is too high. And of course, I was too exhausted to say like, to advocate for, because that was the one thing I really wanted and had researched and the research had shown me that that was a viable option. But I was too, too exhausted to advocate for myself at that point And I hadn't talked to anybody else about it because of course, I wasn't going to be one of the people that had a cesarean. But this cesarean, like the surgery itself went really well. It was really quick. I remember feeling them, like the pulling and tugging. I remember asking my husband, can you see her? Can you see her? And then hearing one of the nurses go, look over here, mommy. And them holding her up and her, she looked so angry. And just like, <laughs> <laughs> just a bunch of dark hair. And she was just so mad. <laughs> and then, so they like brought her over and, um, uh, my husband held her and he like held her to my face and they sewed me up and they let her sit on my chest when they wheeled me to the recovery room, which they don't normally do. And so she got to ride with me in the bed. And I remember looking and I could see my reflection in the window. And that was the first time I saw how like puffy and just destroyed I looked from being in labor for the last few days. But we got back to the recovery room and they put her under the warmer lights because she was getting a little chilled. And then we finally get to the recovery room. Well, not the recovery room, but our, like the room we'd be staying in for the time there. And our family got to come in and say hi. And it was late. So they all go home. And my cesarean recovery was very easy. I had trouble breastfeeding. We found she had a lot of tension in her neck that was presenting almost like a lip, like a tongue tie without a tongue tie. It was causing, she was like gnawing whenever she was nursing. And my my poor nipples were just scabs. And every time she would nurse, they would just rip the scab off. Oh, it was, that's awful. Yeah. So about, um, at about three weeks, I transferred to almost exclusively pumping and I would breastfeed her now and then. But by four months, she started rejecting nursing at the breast and I pumped for about a year. But it was like, because my labor had gone so differently than what I planned, I worked really, really hard at making that breastfeeding relationship work. That was like my my way of regaining some form of control to the point where I was setting alarms and waking up every three hours at night sleeping and I was not getting enough rest and I was not taking care of myself. And I started, I did not realize it then, but I started to develop um, postpartum anxiety where when I w- was able to sleep, I couldn't sleep because I was so afraid she was going to die when I was asleep. 
or I was afraid when somebody else was holding her that they would smother her. Like I was so afraid to let her be with other people or not be watching her. And that was probably the first six months of her life were very much like that something bad is going to happen to my baby if I am not watching her all the time. But uh, when like, when our midwives, like at our postpartum visits, they're like, you know, how are you doing and stuff? I was like, I'm so happy to have my baby. I'm so excited about this. And I'm like, you know, it's emotionally hard. And they're like, yeah, it's a pretty like vulnerable time. I'm like, yeah. So I didn't acknowledge that I was struggling and I was excited to have my baby. And so nobody really, it didn't alert anybody to any of the issues that were going on. But we kind of got through that on our own without any diagnosis. And I did not even realize that it was not a normal experience until my second daughter was born and it was completely different. So that is my cesarean story. And now for my VBAC story, about a year after my first daughter was born, we conceived our second daughter. Her name is Charlie. I love that name, Charlie. Yeah. Her <laughs> she's, girl. So she's cute. a riot. Uh, she's amazing. But when I conceived her, I... So I'd felt pretty okay. Like I kind of mentally compartmentalized my cesarean. But when we conceived her, then I started having like bad dreams and reliving my cesarean, but in very dramatic ways. And that was hard. Like all of a sudden, like, like I was feeling okay about my cesarean and then I conceived and then I was having just all these negative, really dark feelings about it and realizing like, I didn't even know the doctor's name or I didn't know who held my daughter first. And was, I was just like, you know, I cannot put myself in a situation where I'm likely to have another cesarean. And so I started making calls and the hospital closest to us has a VBAC ban. And I did not want to go back to the doctor who said he would let me have a VBAC. The birth center that we saw with our first daughter, they did not provide VBAC services. And so I started calling a whole bunch of places and I would get responses like, no, we don't do that. Um, you have to have an epidural. You'd have to deliver by 40 weeks. And my favorite one was if you go because one of the questions was that I asked one of the hospitals is what if I, what if I go past 40 weeks? Like what if I don't consent to a cesarean by 40 weeks? And they said, if you do not listen to the doctor's advice, your insurance will not cover you. And Ugh, that- <laughs> gosh, I hate it when they say that. <laughs> so that is not true guys. <laughs> but I called uh, probably a dozen places. And then I had a friend who said, Hey, I'm seeing a midwife who's actually really close to where you're living and she, she was the midwife who delivered me. And I think if, if you're looking for a midwife, I think she is the person to go to. And so I said, okay, I'll give it a try. And instead of calling her, I scheduled a consultation with her. I'm like, if I'm going to be rejected again, I'm going to make this, like, I want to look at the people who are talking to me. I was just so tired of talking to people over the phone and email. And so I sit down, go in there and I sit down with her and I have my daughter with me and I go, she goes, okay, do you have any questions for me? And I said, I have one big question for you and that this might be the only question. Do you do VBACs? And she says, of course. <laughs> and just that simple. Yeah. Yes. Just that it. simple. You know, and she talks to me and she asks me about my cesarean and stuff. And she asks me about like what happened. I tell her, you know, it was a posterior presentation. She goes, she goes, D- so did you get to pushing? Could they see the baby's head? Like asking all these things. I'm like, yes, yes, yes. And she goes, as far as I'm concerned, you practically, you might as well have had a vaginal delivery. Like your body did all the hard stuff and she just wasn't in the right position. Like you were, there's nothing wrong. It was just a bad position and we can work with that. And this, this new midwife that I was seeing, she was saying that she very, very rarely 
has a mother have to transfer because of baby position. She's very good at helping mom get into a good position to get baby through the pelvis or helping baby rotate, which was not something I thought about with my first baby. I didn't know to ask like, are you skilled in spinning babies fork or anything like that? And um, so we immediately go with her. One thing, uh, we live in Washington state and in Washington, you cannot have a VBAC in a birth center, but you can have a VBAC at home. It's like this gray area. Yeah. It's like that in Florida too. Yeah. It's super weird. Um, (laughs) But our midwife, her birth center was in her home. So if we had our baby at her home, at her birth center, it was technically a home birth, which I loved because we have a very full household here. And we live with, uh, our in-laws live with us and I probably would have traumatized my father-in-law by having a home birth, but it was a completely different experience with like, I really connected to this midwife and I really, really loved her. And like, she would pray with me and she would talk to me. And I remember at that consultation, just like crying. And she just came over and sat next to me and gave me a hug. And I'm like, I just want to keep you forever. I love you so much, but just an amazing, amazing woman. So it's like, I did all the research and like, I found like every little scrap of research I could on VBAC and everything like that. And I wrote it all down on paper and I said, here's all the pros and cons. And I brought it to my husband and I said, I want uh, VBAC and here are, here's all my research. And he didn't even look at it and he's just like, whatever you want, like, we're going to do, if this is what you want, we're going to do it. He didn't even look at all the research that I did. And I'm like, that's fine with me. Oh, good for him. Yeah. He was like, he, he thinks I'm crazy, but he is incredibly supportive. So we go through um, my pregnancy and my midwife, uh, when we got to like 37 weeks, she goes, would you like to do um, sweeps or massages or anything like our cervical massages? And I said, I asked her her opinion on it and she goes, go home, do your research. Um, If you want to do those, we can start doing them. She had the idea your body won't go into labor until it is ready, but I think we can help make your cervix dilate faster if we do these sweeps. And so I went home and I did my research and I said, you know what? I'm going to go for anything I can do to help my body, like help ripen my cervix and help get things rolling. And so we started doing those and it turns out she only lived like five minutes away from us, which was amazing because like the midwives that we went to before was like a 45 minute drive to get to them. And so um, we're doing the sweeps and stuff. And then I was at 39 weeks and six days. My first daughter, she was born at 39 weeks and six days also. And I wake up in the morning and I'm starting to feel crampy. And I tell my husband that morning, you know what? I think we might have a baby tomorrow. And we had a midwife appointment that morning. And so we went there and she was going to do a sweep. And as she's doing a sweep, she stops and she goes, oh. And I go, what? She goes, I think your water just broke. And she goes, hold on just a second. And so she leaves and she goes, comes back with some sterile gloves and she does another exam. She goes, no, your water's intact. And she tells me about, um, I'm trying to say this right, uh, how your your amniotic sac has two layers and what the first layer is called the chorion layer. Yeah, and, the amnion and the chorion yeah, are right. the two layers. Mm-hmm. So in my first labor, when I woke up with a small gush of fluid, it was exactly what this felt like. So I uh, had like that first layer of my amniotic sac break, but having the main, the main layer still there. And so she goes, okay, your water is not broken. I think that chorion just broke. Um, you have what we sometimes call a double bag but your cervix feels like you're in labor. And I go, I kind of feel like I'm in labor right now. Like I feel like I might be in early, early labor. And so she goes, okay, go home, rest, and then do whatever makes you feel like labor's progressing. And so I go home, um, my husband and I, we had just worked to open a shop at that time. So I send him to work because labor's still early on. 
and go throughout the day. Um, went on a couple walks, laid down and rested, ate food. Around 6 p.m., I called my husband. I'm like, you know what? I think you should probably come home now. And so he heads home. About 6.30, I'm in the shower and my water breaks. It just completely spontaneous, like flood. I'm like, sweet. Things are progressing. Contractions had been at like four minutes apart for a while. And so we get, uh, I call my midwife and say, hey, my water just broke. Um, in mind if we head over, just make sure, check on heart tones, make sure everything's good. She goes, yeah, come on over. I'm here waiting. And so we go over there and she checks on baby's heart rate and Charlie's doing great. And then uh, she does an exam and she goes, you're three centimeters. And I'm like, I've been in labor all day this morning when you did a sweep, I was in t- at two. And right now I'm at a three. And with my first daughter, when we'd gotten to the birth center, I was at seven centimeters and it took me, it was still like 14 hours until she was born from seven centimeters to when we finally had her surgery. And so now I heard three centimeters and I'm like, I'm going to be in labor for two more days. That's like a negative mind space about that. Like I fixated on that number and I was like, I can't be just three centimeters. These contractions are way too hard. I had started vomiting and I was shaking in and I should have, I wish I would have noticed this at this time because my husband asked me, would you like me to call Randy, my sister-in-law who was going to attend this birth also. And I could not wrap my head around. Like I could not tell him yes or no. I was in such a foggy mental space. I should have like, I wish I would have been like, Hey, I'm in a mental foggy space because my body's starting to go into transition. But instead I was just so panicked about the thought of being in labor for three more days that I could not get there. I get in the shower and my husband calls my sister-in-law. She comes over and we sit in the shower and I'm crawling out of my skin with these contractions. They are so intense and it just feels like they're one on top of another. And I'm sitting there, my husband's sitting next to me and he just seems so helpless. And I'm sitting there and I'm getting mad at him because I really want him to go, we should go to the hospital and get an epidural or a cesarean. And I was getting so mad at him for not recommending that we go get some sort of drugs, even though I had chosen an out of hospital birth. <laughs> but our, so our, one of the midwife, she comes in and she gets down really low and she kind of helps me breathe through stuff. And she goes, why don't you try pushing a little bit with this contraction? And so I start pushing a little bit and it feels a little bit better. And so she goes, okay, let's get you out of the shower and see where you're at. And so we crawl over onto the bed and it, she, I'm on my side and she does an exam and she goes, you know what, you're full and she's really close. But when you're on your side, she was a little asynclitic. And so they rock me onto my other side and she tilts her head the other way. And so I ended up flat on my back. And I remember with my, my arm was under my back because I needed that counter pressure. And I started, that's when I really started pushing. And this being flat on my back was probably one of the things that contributed to this tear. But I started pushing and I can feel all this pressure in my lower back. And I'm like, my back hurts. And my midwife goes, that's her head. And I got so excited because that's not something I felt with my first daughter. And so I just keep on pushing and then I can feel her crowning and like all that intensity. And I was expecting like, cause we talked about like, okay, we'll do when she's crowning, we'll do a light push and then we'll breathe through the next contraction and then we'll push and we'll breathe through the next contraction to let you stretch. And so I do the first push. And then when I'm about ready to ease off, my midwife tells me, I need you to keep pushing. And I'm like, I don't know what's going on, but I trust you. And she goes, I like, I need you to dig deep and I need you to keep pushing right now. And it does not sound panicked, but I can hear some urgency in her voice. And so I push and we push her out. And um, the young midwife, she comes over and she goes, Molly, I'm going to give you a shot of Pitocin in your leg. And so she gives me a stick of Pitocin in my leg. 
And I remember um, my placenta being delivered really shortly after that and then doing a lot of fundal massage. And my other midwife, she was actually, uh, she goes, I'm going to do some nipple stimulation too to get you to contract. And I'm kind of like, but they were so calm. I'm like, I understand something's up, but I'm not sure exactly what's going on here. And so to find out after the fact, um, when she was coming down the birth canal, there was, during one of my pushes, there was a large gush of blood, a concerning amount. And my midwife was unsure if my placenta was separating or if I had had a rupture or what. All she knew was there was blood and it was time to get the baby out now. Her, her heart t- tones were re- remaining okay, but it was enough to make her concerned. And so she had me push her out faster than she normally would have. But as soon as she was out, all my bleeding levels were normal. And we weren't, we never found out exactly where that blood came from. One of the ideas that my midwife has was that my daughter might have had a nuchal hand, which means her hand was up by her head. And when she was coming down the birth canal, she might have initiated a tear. And when you push the baby, like they, in between contractions, how they kind of slide back. So one of her theories is that she might have initiated a tear and it might have started bleeding. And then when I pushed again, it pushed all that blood forward. Or it's possible that my placenta was starting to separate or something like that, but none of it turned out bad. So it was not something I hung on to, not something I worried about. And my midwife goes, but you did tear and I need to take a look at that. And so she grabs her little flashlight and she takes a look and she goes, I'm going to touch you, okay? So she touches me and she goes, okay, I need to go make a call. I will be back. And I'm like, that is not what I want to hear my midwife say. (laughs) And so she comes back a little bit later and the other midwife had been with us and she'd been taking care of us. And my daughter was doing amazing, just this pink, squishy, adorable little baby. And like her umbilical cord was so long and the placenta was like the size of a large dinner plate. It was huge. And so I'm like marveling over all of this beautiful stuff. And my husband's there and my sister-in-law's there and she was taking some pictures. There was her birth assistant. There was a lady I hired as my doula for my next birth. Her name was Melissa Stork because that is the perfect name to be working in the birth field. Uh, And she helped snap some pictures too. And uh, my midwife comes back and she goes, okay, Molly, you tore really badly. It's not something I can repair here. We're going to have to go to the hospital to get it repaired. And so I called the hospital nearest to us and the OB on call said he is not getting out of bed for that. So if we go, we can go into the ER and he will be forced to come in or we can go to this hospital that is further away um, because they have OBs on staff right now. We're not going to be waiting on the on-call OB who just said that he does not want to get out of bed to repair this tear. And so I said, we're going to the faraway one. If somebody said he's not willing to get out of bed at 930, then I do not want him touching me. So when I got there and I was three centimeters, that was, we got there about 7 p.m. and I pushed her out at 948. So it was like just over three hours from three centimeters to baby is out, which I thought was pretty intense and fast compared to my last daughter who I was in labor with for a total of 64 hours before she was born. But we go to the hospital and the OB sits, like comes in and he sits down between with my legs up in the stirrups and he's, he says, okay, I'm going to touch you. And he touches and he goes, all right, this is a fourth degree tear. And what that means is that the tear went all the way from my vagina into my rectum. It went through the anal sphincter and actually into the anus. So they gave me some lidocaine shots and then they started stitching and the lidocaine did not work super well. Like I could feel the stitching being pulled through and 
it took probably an hour or so. Um, the midwife who went with me there, she said they probably gave me 30 to 40 stitches. It was hard, like we weren't keeping track, but it was a lot of work. And then the doctor finishes up and he puts his tools down and he goes, good as new. Wow. <laughs> that's a lot of work. Right? <laughs> and I'm like, okay, thank you. I don't know if I believe you, but thank you. <laughs> um, and, uh, but um, they were really cool and we got to go home and we got, uh, I remember riding home and I was so happy. I was like, I would 100% would rather go through labor a dozen times than have to have that vaginal repair again um, because that was rough. But going home and I was like, I was like a happy drunk person. I'm just like, I love everyone and everyone's my best friend and this is the best thing ever. And it was a really good experience. Like breastfeeding went well. Mentally, I was in such a better place. It was it was wonderful. And then my recovery from that was rough. So I um, had a lot of ice packs. I used um, the Earth Mama Organics perineal spray a lot. Probably had to use a peri bottle for about four weeks. Like getting out of bed and walking were hard. It was like every time you got out of bed, I had to like keep my legs together. But I am very fortunate in the fact that I made a full recovery from my tear. I don't have any... Um, long-lasting issues. I know some women struggle with fecal incontinence and pain with sex and all of these, like even some women have such severe issues that they end up with colostomy bags and stuff like that. And I do not take for granted how fortunate I am that I recovered very, very well from it. So I had that experience and it it was very painful. And in a physical way, it was the recovery was probably harder than my cesarean, but the mental journey from my cesarean and my VVAC were complete. They were night and day. And I was in such a better mental space to be present for my kids and to be present for my family. And it was such a wonderful thing. And then I've got one more to tell um, my, uh, uh, my son. Okay. And so, my daughter, who was just born, who I had the fourth degree tear with, she was seven pounds and 10 ounces. So she was, she was my little baby. And then uh, we found out, we got a surprise that we were expecting a third baby. A really easy pregnancy. I got really big. Um, we hired Melissa Stork. If you got, anybody's in the Snohomish County area of Washington and is looking for a doula, she is phenomenal. And she was, she'd had her babies with our midwife and her She'd had five babies, and her fifth baby was a vaginal breech birth. And um, I'm like, great. I like, I want all of your experience. And the biggest reason I wanted a doula in this third birth was because I felt so out of control during my VBAC. Like during the labor, I got into such a negative mental space. I really wanted somebody that could help help me keep that together. So really easy pregnancy, and then we got to like 37 weeks, and he was breech. And our midwife goes, okay, um, here's what we're going to do. We're going to get you in for an ultrasound really quick to check and confirm if he's breech. If he is, then we're going to send you, we're going to get a doctor that'll do an external cephalic version to try to turn him head down. And so we go in for the ultrasound and he had flipped head down. And then we go back at 38 weeks and she goes to find his heart tone and she's looking, searching for it down low and she can't find it. And she goes way up above my belly button and his heartbeat is way up, up there. And she, she goes, you know, I'm going to do an exam, uh, a cervical exam. And she 
is doing a cervical exam and she goes, I feel a foot. Like, no, oh, no, no, <laughs> we're at 38 weeks and he's breech again. And I kind of started having a little bit of panic and um, I go, okay, so if he is breech, what does that mean? And I will never forget this because I remember she, she sets her clipboard down in her lap and she leans forward and she goes, well, what do you want? And she just like, just like, if he's breech, what do you want? And I go, I don't know. Like, I don't, I have not done the research on breach. I do not know enough about it. And like one of her babies had been born breach. Um, like she was, she was trained in breach, but her, her scope of practice did not include it. And I, she was somebody that I would trust as a friend. And so I said, like, I asked her, what would you do? And she goes, if you want to, I will go to the hospital and I will help you fight for a breach delivery. Like she was like, I will serve as your monitrice if you want to go to the hospital to fight for a breach delivery. And she told me about some of the successful breach deliveries that she's been part of. And she was like, if this is something you want, I will not tell you that you have to schedule another cesarean. Like we will fight for this. And so I went home that night and she goes, you know, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. But if you want this, I will fight with you. And so I went home and I love my research. And so I started doing research on breach delivery. And I watched the documentary um, Heads Up, The Disappearing Art of Breach Vaginal, um, Art of Vaginal Breach Delivery, which was amazing. I checked out uh, thebreachbook.com and I learned a lot about uh, the term breach trial and how it kind of made breach delivery in the U.S. less accessible. And I really decided that from this, like, if... If everything looked good, I really wanted to try to pursue a vaginal breach delivery at this point. I looked at the data and made a decision based off of all of that. And I said, you know what? The reason we don't have providers that are providing this is because we do not have people that are demanding this service. And so I made that decision that if we got to that point that I would pursue a vaginal breach delivery. But it was trying everything, all the spinning babies, um, moxibustion. I was putting ice packs on the top of my belly and music down low. And my midwife, she says, I cannot do an EVC, but I can try to persuade him to move. So she would like poke at him and jab at him a little bit. And he flipped back over. And um, I put, I got one of the postpartum compression bands and I wore that around my belly for the rest of my pregnancy. To keep him him down. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So at 38 weeks, we went from breach to head down again, which was crazy, but I feel like I learned so much from that experience. And that was the entire pregnancy. I'd had such a good pregnancy. I was like, I don't like, I could be pregnant forever. I don't really care to give birth. So, and then we got, we're getting closer and closer to baby being born. And I, leading up to his birth, like one of the biggest concerns was another repeat tear because obviously scar tissue is not as stretchy as not scarred areas. And my midwife said, yes, it is a possibility that you could have a repeat tear. So I started doing a perineal massage and I used a kind of a lubrication called Baby It by um, Fairhaven Health. That was really great. Um, So doing that, uh, doing like uh, baths and anything I could to help, help those tissues become more stretchy. Kind of like in the interview you guys did about the cesarean scar massage. It was that same idea only except for in my perineum area. Nice. Yes, it was. So lots of that, which um, I also like noticed that when I had started doing it, it made me really stressed out because it brought back a lot of those feelings from my daughter crowning at birth. But then the more I did it, the more relaxed I got and the less, the more it made it easier to cope with that sensation. 
And so both of my daughters were born the day before their due dates. And my son went almost to 42 weeks, which was really weird because I'm thinking third baby is going to be a breeze, like he's going to come earlier. And he went almost to 42 weeks. So I went into labor early on June 8th. His birthday is coming up next week. And it was one of our friend's birthdays that day. And this friend had told us he's going to be born on my birthday. And I had told him, there's no way he's going to be born on your birthday. Both of our girls came before 40 weeks. Your birthday's almost two weeks after his. And then I woke up that morning in labor and I'm like, Derek was right. And my husband laughed and it was great. Um, and so I called my midwife that morning and I'm like, hey, just to let you know, labor's definitely started. Like, I, this is 100%. I know this is labor. And she goes, okay. Um, I am in Seattle right now serving as a doula for one of our moms uh, who was delivering at the uh, university hospital there. Um, I will let you know when I'm back. And I'm like, okay, Seattle's like two hours away from us. I hope she makes it back in time. But she did have another midwife um, here. And so I was in labor that entire day and my contractions never got closer to 10 minutes apart unless I was like using a breast pump or walking. But they were incredibly intense. It was like, it was like the intensity of transition level contractions, but 10 minutes apart, which was really bizarre. And so I have, was talking to my doula and my doula is friends with our midwife. And so she just went over to her house and she's like, you know what? I will be over here if you need me. I'm five minutes away. And so my husband and I kind of labor all day. I took a nap, just like laid down in the middle of the day and took a 20 minute nap, which was amazing. And then, um, it was getting later in the day and I was starting to notice I was getting into kind of like a foggy mindset. Like I was having a hard time knowing who I should be in contact with. And so we decided to go over to our midwife's place to, um, because she was so close. I'm like, you know, let's just go see where we're at. And if it's not far, we'll just come back and we'll go back in the morning. And so I give all of our kiddos a hug and we head over there. And as we're driving in the car, I just start crying. And my husband's like, what's wrong? And I'm like, I don't want to not be pregnant anymore. <laughs> like I'm like 42 weeks and I'm just like, I don't want to not be pregnant anymore. And I'm pretty sure at this point he was like, you are insane. <laughs> um, but so we get to the midwife and um, so Charlotte, our midwife, she had, when I called her, she was like, I'm at my daughter's football game. I'll be heading back. Um, my assistant midwife is there. And uh, if you wouldn't mind, she can check you and I'll meet you guys there. And so our assistant midwife, she checks and she goes, you are five centimeters and have a bulging bag of waters and you're really, really thin, like, like everything's really close. And so I hear her call our midwife and she goes, you know what, you should get back here because as soon as this water breaks, it's going to go fast. And then it's a little while and like we call, we make the calls to like um, my sister and my sister-in-law because they were going to be at this birth. And um, it takes a while for my midwife to get there. And when she finally comes in, she's like, I am so sorry. I locked my keys in my car. And that has like all of my stuff and your medical chart. It's all in my car at my daughter's football game. I had to go onto the field and get her keys to get here. Um, so she doesn't have like our medical chart or anything because she would carry around. She carries around her files with her during uh, when somebody's in term. We're like, that's fine because my contractions had so much space between them. Like I was able to completely like recite my chart back to her and we were able to talk over everything. And like the contractions would hit and it'd be really hard to work through them. And then they'd pass and we'd just have a conversation and we'd laugh. And like, there's a picture of me just a couple hours before my son is born and I'm just smiling. And it was the coolest experience to have these really, really strong working contractions, but this absolute peace in between them. And so my midwife, she 
gets around to checking me and my doula, she's a photographer and she's taking pictures and she's just like, they don't even need me. She's doing great. And my midwife goes, so the reason your contractions are so spaced out is because he is not engaged in your pelvis right now. And because he's not engaged, like if your water breaks, it's going to go really fast, but I can't break your water for you because his head is not there. Like if I, if I broke your water right now, we'd risk cord prolapse. So we're sitting there, we're talking about it. And I'm like, have you ever had an in-call baby? And she goes, yeah, we've had a couple. And I'm like, you know what? I don't want to wait that long. And so we try, like she puts me on a birthing stool and tries to get, so his head is covering my cervix and that doesn't work. And so uh, she has me lay on my bed on, uh, lay on the bed on my side and finally get it. So his head is covering my cervix and she breaks my water and I can just feel him drop and engage into my pelvis. And immediately I get this amazing adrenaline rush and I start shaking my midwife comes up and she starts massaging my hands and the music was, I had my music playing playlist going and it was playing the song it as well. And it was like, so all the midwives and my sisters and my husband were there and everybody was singing this, like the it as well with my soul as my midwife is massaging my hands and the other midwife is massaging my feet. And I was just like, like you would, I could never picture like an OBGYN giving me a, a foot massage. <laughs> and it was just like such a, amazing experience so she broke when she broke my water and I got that adrenaline rush I was at five centimeters when she broke my water and the next contraction I started pushing and I remember like I had had a cold leading up to this and I would cough and it would just be like all this fluid coming out and we'd all laugh and work really hard during the contraction and then just keep going and I remember at one point looking at my midwife and being like okay, I'm ready to be done now. And not because, I, <laughs> not because I felt like I was ready to be done, but more because it was like, you know, you have to hit that point mentally before you can get the baby out. Like I'm supposed to hit that. I don't want to do this point anymore before I'm supposed to push. So I jokingly said, I'm ready to be done now. <laughs> and then we just keep moving. And like, I can feel him pushing, moving down with every, uh, with every push. I can feel him like moving down my back. Then like, she's like, okay, he's getting close. I'm going to provide, uh, a lot I'm going to do a lot of pressure on your uh, perineum to try to keep you from tearing I'm like okay and so she's pushing and it was like pushing into a wall because she was providing so much pressure against it and I can feel him crowning and I can feel that stretching and I'm like digging in deep and like being like okay it's just going to get a little bit worse and then he's going to be out it's going to get worse and then he's going to be out and then when I'm expecting it to get worse I feel his head slide out like so it was like I was so prepared to like have to dig down deep and it was like oh there's his head there's his head <laughs> <laughs> and then she's like next contraction comes out and I give a push and he had a little bit of a sticky shoulder but uh the assistant midwife just like reached in and hooked his shoulder and wiggled him out and they put him up on my chest and they're like he's he's such a big boy and I'm like he's so tiny and it was just such an amazing like perfect experience in my midwife uh I was so excited and I'm like is, is he actually a boy and so excited to see him and then I'm like all I really wanted to know was, did I tear or not? Because that was like my biggest concern. So my midwife, she looks and she goes, Molly, you didn't tear at all. And I'm like, no way. Like not, she's like, nope, not even one stitch. There's, you're perfect. And it was so like, she was like, praise Jesus. This is amazing. Everybody was just so excited. And he was so perfect and just big head of dark hair. And his umbilical cord was super long. Um, I delivered his placenta like four minutes after he was born. He nursed super easily and 
the assistant midwife after a while um she brought me back to the bathroom and helped me get cleaned up and take a shower and like help me wash all the blood and everything off and my midwife had to run and get her car unlocked to get all of our medical charts and her scale and everything and so it was a couple hours after he was born that we finally got to weigh him and he was nine pounds and three ounces and um she measured his head and he had a 15 inch head that's a big head that is a big head and i had no tearing <laughs> and because he was so big like nursing was so easy like had absolutely no soreness at all he had a four percent weight loss like when they did his um did our checkup a couple days after he was born he lost four percent of his weight and by three days if it had not been for the bleeding i would have felt completely normal like like the first couple of days I felt sore, almost like, almost like when you smack your hip and get a deep bruise. That's what my vagina felt like after birth. And then within three days, I felt completely normal. Like I had stocked my fridge with padsicles and everything because I was so prepared after, after my fourth degree tear, I was so prepared for everything that could happen. And during this birth, I ended up needing none of it. Like I never pulled my, those padsicles out. I ended up giving them to a friend. It was just such an easy recovery and the entire experience was so great and then it was like my midwife kept having to tell me you're going to feel good so you need to take it slow you need to stay in bed and she was telling my husband you need to keep her in bed like you need to make sure that she takes it easy and I because this was the first birth that I did not have a major recovery after it it was definitely a challenge to slow down like I really wanted to just go out into the world and show everybody my baby but it was an absolutely amazing experience and I would do it all over again in a heartbeat. <laughs> That's awesome. I think it's interesting because you've kind of, you've like, like the first time, like you had this amazing V-back and it was awesome. And then you had like a really crazy terror and that's kind of frustrating, right? When you're right. like, I got this birthday wanted and I had this terror and I had to go to the hospital and I had to have this. And <laughs> it's so it's so hard and frustrating, I'm sure, but I'm so glad that this last time that you had a much easier experience all around. Yes. Um, but you still even had a curveball thrown in there too, you know? <laughs> yeah. Apparently, you are just meant to handle these curveballs, but um, I wanted to provide this website for the fourth degree tear. Um, and did you use this personally? Uh, the mothers with fourth the degree tears. Mothers with fourth degree tears. Yes. Did yes. you use that? Yes, page? I did. I found them their group on Facebook. So the one thing I would like to let people know, um, the mothers with fourth degree tears, uh, a lot. This was a huge perspective change for me. This was a huge like opening my eyes to a lot of the times when these recoveries don't go as well. Because a lot of the women who have had these are choosing elective cesareans, and I think it's important that um, those of us who are in the VBAC community understand like you're going to have people who have had a completely different experience and to understand that's a valid experience but to be prepared for that too totally totally i was kind of sharing this before that you know i i have had that like i i've had that with a friend like she she said that and she hadn't even had a c-section she just had a vaginal birth and she scheduled an elective cesarean because she didn't want to deal with the trauma down below and she was scared she was mm -hmm. terrified she was like i and she did she had rectal issues and you know and she's like i don't want to do that again i just don't and 
you know, I of course supported her in that and it's just so hard. It's so hard. So yeah, I'm so, I'm so grateful that you shared your story because it is a thing and it is a possibility and recovery isn't always amazing, even with a VBAC, right? And yeah. And to understand like the physical recovery, like there's, there's both the physical and emotional sides to it and they're both very valid and very important. Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you so much for sharing. And if you are listening and you've had a, an intense tear or anything like that, be sure to comment today and tag your resources in your community so the people that are following can, if they're in your community, they can find and locate help for them. Would you like to be a guest on the podcast? Head over to the vbacklink.com slash share and submit your story. For more information on all things VBAC, including online and in-person VBAC classes, the VBAC blog, and Julie and Megan's bios, head over to the vbacklink.com. Congratulations on starting your journey of learning and discovery with the VBAC link.